Podiatry Today podcasts, where we bring you the latest in foot and ankle medicine and surgery from leaders in the field. I'm Dr. Jennifer Spector, Managing Editor, and today we are highlighting our September 2021 cover story on fifth metatarsal fractures in athletes. We are so excited to have one of the authors of that cover story, Dr. William Fishko, here with us today. Dr. Fishko is a fellow of the American College of Foot and Ankle Surgeons and is in practice in Anthem, Arizona. Dr. Fishko, what classification system do you typically employ when you're evaluating a fifth metatarsal fracture in athletes, and how does this then inform your management protocol? Well, I typically, I'm not a big fan of classification systems, but I realize there is value to them. I like to keep it simple. And for the fifth metatarsal fracture, I like to use a location classification, which would be your zone one fracture, which is an avulsion fracture, a zone two fracture, which is a Jones fracture, and a zone three fracture, which would be a diaphyseal fracture. Generally speaking, the more complicated classifications don't really help me decide what to do. I think the real value would be communicating with other colleagues where it may be a better descriptor of the type of fracture and the pattern of the fracture. But in my mind, a simple classification using the three zones helps me decide what to do. So then what do you feel are the key components of your physical exam when you're evaluating these fractures? Well, certainly the palpation exam is the most important thing that we do. And oftentimes we know we're dealing with a fifth metatarsal fracture, especially if they've been seen elsewhere at the ED or urgent care. And so, yes, we're going to palpate the fifth metatarsal, but more importantly is we're dealing with a trauma of some sort. And there may be other anatomic areas that we have to address. So rather than just look at an x-ray and, oh, you have a fifth metatarsal fracture, we're gonna put you in a boot, be fine. Uh, we'll wanna make sure we evaluate the lateral ankle complex because certainly these fractures are typically associated with some sort of inversion or rotary force. Therefore, we want to examine the lateral ankle ligaments perineal tendons over the calcium cuboid joint region, sinus tarsi, et cetera, high ankle sprains. And it may be more involved than just a fifth metatarsal fracture. And so uh, I have a, a standard examination process for just about everything that we see, whether it's for a bunion or heel pain or whatever the case may be. And I feel it's really important on a physical exam to have a a very regimented way of examining a patient. So let's take heel pain, for example. We all know where it's going to hurt and we press on the plantar medial heel and the patient says it hurts, but certainly I wanna assess for things like Baxter's nerve entrapment. Is it an infracalcanic bursitis, stress fracture? So if you have a way to examine the area or the foot the same way every time, you won't miss things. And sometimes too much information to start with is not good. So if you know the fifth metatarsal is broken, you look at an x-ray and say, oh, here's a boot, you'll be okay. We may be missing things. And so have the, a way to examine the foot the same way every time will prevent us from missing anything. And so back to the fifth metatarsal case, if I'm confident that it's a fifth metatarsal fracture, there's nothing else going on, 
Then the, the next step would be to get x-rays if I haven't had them already. And right, that's basically all the real imaging that we need to do at this point when we're dealing with an isolated fracture of the fifth metatarsal and the confident, there's nothing else going on. So that x-ray is gonna tell us, is it a zone one, two, or three? And then right away, the wheels are turning in your head, how are you gonna treat this patient? If there is concern that maybe there is something else going on, maybe you're worried about there was a significant ankle injury, maybe there's lateral ankle ligament derangement, maybe there is an osteochondral defect or something that is raising a red flag, then an MRI is certainly warranted, especially in your high level athletes. Even if it's not an athlete, we, we still have to get the information. I might order MRI sooner in a patient where back to sport is a critical versus someone who is not trying to get back to a sport. We could sit on that, see how things play out and consider that down the road. I rarely get CT scans unless we're dealing with a chronic fracture where I'm concerned that there may be a delayed or non-union. And so a CT scan can let us know how much bone bridging really is there. Personally, I'm not a fan of bone scans, even though it's certainly an acceptable procedural way to determine whether there's a non-union. But in my mind, if I think I've got a non-union, but I'm probably going to do surgery anyway, and to subject the patient to a bone scan just doesn't really seem worth it in my mind. So, uh, but that is something that we can consider at, at times. If I do have a confirmed non-union, I might consider getting a vitamin D level for patients. So if you know, the magic number is 30, if the number is below 30, then we'll consider supplementation with 50,000 units of vitamin D3 per week until we get the numbers up. And so uh, basically, as far as physical exam, it's going to be palpation, rule out other problems, your imaging with x-rays. And then we hold on MRI, CT, bone scan, unless we have an unusual case. So once you've performed your comprehensive evaluation, how do you decide which cases warrant surgical intervention versus those that don't need surgical intervention? Well, I know this topic is about the athlete, but my general impression about the fifth metatarsal fracture is this. They usually heal really well, okay? And the longer I'm in practice, probably the less I fix them. Now, if I do have an athlete that maybe is a high school athlete and they're gunning for a division one team and et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, mom and dad are hovering over me. Like, you know, I've got the best baseball player ever born. There's a little more stress and I have to, you know, kind of kick it up a notch. But for the, the average person and the non-athlete, I rarely do surgery in the fifth metatarsal. And we're all taught in school about the Jones fracture, how, you know, the metaphyseal diaphyseal region has tenuous blood flow and risk for non-union. That is true. But I just don't see that many non-unions of Jones fractures that haven't been operated on as far as avulsion fractures. So this is the most common fracture we're going to see. And if you look in your own practices, how many times do you see a patient that comes to you that has isolated fifth metatarsal cuboid arthritis because they had an avulsion fracture that wasn't treated surgically, okay? In my practice, the patients who have 
fifth metatarsal cuboid arthritis tend to have global arthrosis of the, all the tarsal metatarsal joints. These are people who maybe had a Liz Frank syndrome, or maybe they have a pes cavus and metatarsal ductus foot type, which leads to chronic lateral column overload leading to stress, strain, and arthrosis to the midfoot. You know, those patients have a big hump on the top of the foot. Uh, those are the ones who tend to get that problem. So personally, I just don't really feel the need of doing a lot of surgery on the fifth metatarsal. Uh, I think it's a game changer when we're dealing with an athlete and as time is of the essence to get back to sports. And I think for those patients, I'll give them an either or. I'll tell them, listen, we can treat it with surgery and um, you'll have a good outcome. We could treat it without surgery and you're still gonna have a good outcome. If you wanna get back to sports sooner, I would say have the surgery done. And another thing I would tell my listeners is that if you're on the fence of whether to do surgery or not, do the surgery, okay? No one's ever gonna criticize you for fixing a metatarsal fracture that has some displacement. And this is assuming you do good work, right? You got, that's the, the whole crux of, of surgery is doing good work. If you don't do good work, then, you know, don't do it, right? But if you do it well, you're gonna have a good outcome. Now on the flip side, let's say you decided not to fix that and God forbid it didn't heal well. Now you're open for criticism. Why didn't you fix that? You should have fixed that. It was displaced, it was an athlete. So I think there's a lot to making the decision, but if you have a metatarsal fracture, there is enough displacement where in your mind you feel like it would benefit from surgery and getting back to sports is a thing, then I think you should consider doing the surgery. For my recreational athletes, and in my practice, I have a lot of gentlemen's trauma, right? Nothing major. These are people who walk in my office, say, I'm sure it's not broken because I'm walking on it. And it's broken, of course. But, um, and we've got our high school athletes and we've got even our younger athletes who want to play high school sports and what have you. That's my typical practice. I'm not dealing with professionals, semi-professionals, and that may be a whole nother ball game. And so all I can really comment is my experience in the low level athlete. So I think the bottom line is I rarely do surgery on the fractures unless there is significant displacement where I think there would be a prolonged healing process and I've got an athlete that needs to get back on the field. So for a non-athletes or people where there is no urgency, I, I tell patients this and you, you probably do the same thing is that we don't treat x-rays. So we'll take x-rays along the way. And I'm gonna tell my patients, look, I know it's been eight weeks, we can still see the fracture on your x-ray, but clinically you have no pain. And the frustrating thing, especially because I always show my patients x-rays, I don't look at it and say, everything's fine, get out of here, that kind of thing. I show them, I want them to see it and people can see fractures sometimes months after a metatarsal fracture, even though they're clinically pain-free. So I set the story right away and say, listen, it's gonna take months for the fracture to disappear on an X-ray. That does not mean you're gonna be in pain for months. So you're gonna have enough healing where the bone fragment is not moving, it is not gonna cause you pain, 
and it will take probably up to a year for that bone to remodel fill in and we don't worry about that now with athletes it's a different story because there is such a greater stress on the bone so we've got running jumping lateral motion things of that nature so those are all things that can separate you know a non-athlete from an athlete and, and why it may be more critical to do surgery but let's say it is that athlete we're getting back on the field is of the essence and you do decide to take this to surgery are there any particular intraoperative considerations or pearls that you use in cases like this well let's look at each particular fracture so let's say we're dealing with a zone one fracture so the most important thing in my mind is the size and maybe number of pieces of the fragment. So if I'm dealing with a very small piece or multiple fragments, I'm more likely to do tension band wiring or a hook plate. It just, it's gonna to be too difficult to try to use a screw when you're dealing with a small fragment of bone or multiple pieces. And so in a larger fragment of bone, then I think a screw would be my choice for that. For Jones fractures, I generally like to use a fully threaded, headless, variable pitch screw. Larger the better, usually a 4.5 millimeter screw. And because we want those threads to really engage that endosteum. So a, a, a screw that is uh, too small of a diameter won't catch the endosteum and there'll be motion and it will fail. And so all studies show that 4.5 millimeter screw is probably the best bet. For a zone three fracture, it seems silly, but um, when I was in training years ago, external fixation was a big thing, right? Everybody got a frame of some sort for something or another. And I rarely ever use external fixation except for this. So I still do a mini rail on a stress fracture or you know zone three fracture and it's just such a simple way to fix it and patients can ambulate right away afterwards and certainly has to be the right patient because there is a little pain care involved and uh, things of that nature and of course you have pins in and out of the skin which some people can't handle um, i just find that's better than stripping the periosteum off of the metatarsal and putting a plate on it and just doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. And I think external fixation is perfect for that. In a case where I have a non-union, where I'm concerned that we need to do something with the bone, I'll make a very small incision over the fracture site. So we'll bring our C-arm in, mark the spot, make a small incision. I'll just take a small drill bit and just drill the fracture site. That way I can get good bleeding in the area and then tighten down my external fixator and that's all there is to it. So I generally have found that unless it's a serious deformity of the metatarsal of traditional bone graft and plate isn't really necessary. And so that's generally my surgical preferences for those three types of metatarsal fractures. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with the listeners today? Um, I think the, the probably one of the things that I find uh, interesting and uh, frustrating at the same time is if you go back and you look at your patients with Jones fractures or even the zone three fractures, 
they are almost always going to have an element of Pes cavus or Metatarsus bidecus. And that's something that we really have to address in prevention as well as you know aftercare uh, of fixing uh, the fractures. And so we know that this foot type causes lateral column overload. And so these patients will be uh, having a supinated foot type. And, uh, and I personally think Jones fractures are more like stress fractures, like a zone three fracture. They just, yeah, there's an event, but the bone's probably already compromised from years or who knows how much time of stress and strain that gets, makes the bone weaker there. And um, when we see severe metatarsal reductus, we'll see a Jones-type fracture on the fourth metatarsal even, both fracture five and four. And so it just shows that that pattern of fracture is related to overloading the lateral column. And so I think biomechanically, we have to try to help these patients, whether it's after you fix them, after they've healed conservatively, or even for prevention. So if you have you know, mom brings in a, his son who's playing baseball, say, hey, can you check his feet? And, you know, he's playing baseball and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, if you see things like, okay, he's got pes cavus, he's got a metatarsal ductus foot type, his gait exam is completely supinated, and maybe he doesn't have any problems per se, but this is where you want to say, listen, mechanically, it's not sound. We can do some preventative uh, treatment for him to help prevent something like the fifth metatarsal fracture. And that's where uh, orthotics come in, right? So the main difference between us and orthopedics is we do the whole shooting match, right? We can fix their fractures, we can evaluate their gait and do something to help uh, prevention. So um, I, this is where orthotics come into play. And so, you know, typically we make orthotics for all kinds of things. And it's usually plantar fasciitis because that's the most common thing that comes into the office. And, you know, just like a robot, you do, okay, semi-rigid shell, three degrees vertical varus, blah, 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 right? And then you make an orthotic, okay. Well, this type of orthotic has to be the opposite of just about everything you do, right? So we want to create a valgus device. We want to pronate the foot. Yes, pronate the foot. We have to do that. So this is where we do not use a heel post, and we have a lateral valgus wedge that goes from heel to the fifth metatarsal to help pronate the foot. And so I have not had patients come back with plantar fasciitis because we pronated the feet, okay? It's not like that. And so, but just taking stress off the lateral column is going to help with um, lateral column problems. And so I guess finally, I would like to tell the audience that, um, you know, this is gonna be one of the more common traumas you're gonna get in the office. And it's rare that we really have to do surgery. Um, and I think it's mostly going to be based on your gut feeling as far as the type of sports they're doing, the type of demand they have, how soon they need to get back to sports as to whether you're going to do surgery or not. And again, if you're on the fence, just do the surgery, but make sure you do a good job. Thank you so much, Dr. Fishko, for joining us and sharing your experiences in this format. We hope that you, the listeners, will tune back in for future podcasts. And remember that you can find us on Spreaker, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, podiatrytoday.com, or your preferred podcast platform. 
To hear of the latest podcast launches, don't forget to follow us on social media at Podiatry Today.